Science. Hey everyone, welcome to Probably Science. I'm Matt Kirshen. I'm Andy Wood. Hey Andy. Fresh from the third doctor's appointment. You uh, you got an MRI? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm going to get an MRI for the first time in my life. Here. I got some steroids. Um, yeah, it's just nice to be acknowledged after three visits in a month of constant pain i mean like my back hurts it's a real thing yeah it's definitely some kind of bulged or ruptured disc so we'll find out we've had various we've had so many people have emailed us about chiropractors and chiropractic it was very validating because i was like what if i was harsh and premature with my assessment of chiropractic as bullshit but every almost every listener has been like yeah i mean sometimes they can stumble upon something that helps you but for the most part it's not real and it can hurt you. Like one listener wrote about getting uh, some kind of adjustment and then having permanent neck pain and started <laughs> yes. that with that adjustment. So like avoid chiropractors, they fuck you up. Hey, or, or sometimes they don't, but like they're not going to fix non-back related things with a back adjustment probably. That's definitely the case. Yeah. <laughs> We've got a... Uh... I, I'm still also I, my eye keeps getting drawn to Andy's new inversion table, which is the most fun. I, it's also just like I don't have room in this apartment for that. It can't stay here. I, don't, I can't have that it be is, the centerpiece of my living room. Yeah, it doesn't really fold up in any. Does it no. fold up? No. I mean, I could disassemble it, but I can't fit it in the closet or anything. So it's a massive thing. We've got a guest. Yes, we should uh, actor, comic, improviser, co-host of the Off Book podcast. The finest improvised musical podcast <laughs> out of Los Angeles. It's Zach Reno. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Andy. Thanks for having me, Matt. Happy, I'm happy to be here. Very glad to. My dad has or had one of those inversion tables and also swears by a chiropractor. Okay. So let's get some anecdotal evidence on both sides. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. That's, that, I, the, the most frustrating thing in the last month has been the number of people who've suggested acupuncture. And I'm like, I don't want to be a dick. I don't want to keep having the conversation where like, Every study of that has shown it's no better than placebo. There was... Did someone send this to us? I can't remember whether someone tweeted or emailed this or whether someone... No, maybe it was you, you tweeted about the uh, the origin of Chinese medicine. Oh, yeah. And how... China supposedly China? had... Well, they, they had but already like abandoned... More specifically than China, it was, it was... Mao. It was Maoist propaganda that... Or rather, a cheap way to say we now have universal health care because it's just needles. Yeah, so... <laughs> It, Whoa, that's, it's a, that's wild. So this idea that this is like ancient Chinese medicine and everything is, you know, is firstly the idea of ancient medicine in general it is so weirdly bullshitty. Like we ancient don't Chinese we secret, t- huh? We, 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 we like we like to update medicine for a reason. Yeah, exactly. I like my medicine fresh and new. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If, if stuff has been tried and tested over many, many hundreds of years and seems to work then what happens is scientists and researchers investigate it and they see whether there's any truth or reason to it. And if it's upheld, then it gets absorbed into... Then you start working out, oh, I wonder why it works. And right. then it gets absorbed into real medicine. And then we call it aspirin. Right. Right. Which is exactly, yeah, willow bark is right. basically... You chew on willow bark, it seems good. And, and then, then we go... did a test on it, and now we call it aspirin. Yeah, and then you go, Wiki- oh. Wikipedia makes no bones about acupuncture. It says, acupuncture, benefits, placebo. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like straight up. I've never had acupuncture. It's, yeah, it's, uh, Westerners' knowledge of it all comes from someone by the name of uh, Reston. What was, his, what was his first name? Who, yeah, got this done sometime in the mid-century... 1971, um, New York Times editor James Reston wrote an article entitled, Now Let Me Tell You About My Appendectomy in, P- in Peking. In it, he recounted how Wu Weirin of the anti-imperialist hospital had administered a standard injection of xylocaine and benzocaine before moving his appendix. Later, while he recovered, acupuncture was used to relieve pain from post-operative gas. 
Eager to believe in mystical Eastern miracle workers, credulous Westerners misreported the story, claiming that acupuncture had been used as an anesthetic during Reston's appendectomy, a falsehood that still has currency. Um, but yeah, basically the uh, the Mao thing is that he, I believe China had abandoned acupuncture as pseudoscience yeah, three or four hundred years ago. There's a really nice article on Slate. That's what that, I'm looking at right now. Um, it's too long to go into now, but we'll link to it in the show notes if you want to have a read. Uh, but yeah, essentially, it was a way to both tell the country that you have this sort of universal healthcare thing, basically making use of the wildly varying different types of local med- healer traditions, right. um, and also, and then sort of ship it out to the world as Chinese propaganda, right. and and people on the West fall for it as a mixture of. You know, again, if it, if it was like Western stuff that had been done for the last thousand years, you go, oh yeah, we don't still believe in the four humors and the, that sort right. of. We don't oh. leech. We don't crack people's skulls. Yeah, like, he's still. Yeah. Oh, he has too much black bile or whatever that. <laughs> um, but but because it's Chinese, this sort of racist, like Orientalist kind of. Yeah. Oh, the mystic of the Orient. Yeah. There must be some truth. It's equally bullshit it'd be like if trump unveiled a new universal healthcare plan of just like wishful thinking and then in a hundred years some other culture is like oh there's this ancient western secret <laughs> yeah, wishful exactly. thinking that uh, once once the west has entirely collapsed mm-hmm. and the yeah, asian yeah. countries have taken over and now the <laughs> predominant ones that they got like the mystery of the americas now i will say this and i haven't done the, the the studies on this so because i'm not a scientist and i don't do studies but um, there are some companies that make uh, Japanese facial care stuff that is based off of uh, things that were used by uh, geisha performers that is like okay. that that much like Willow Bark like turned out to be very rooted in science and is like very good for your skin and has all this sort of stuff. But equally, I think falls under that sort of umbrella of ooh, it feels like it Sounds- has a sort of um, what's the word? It, it feel, uh, I, don't, I don't even know how to how to properly describe the, the exoticism of it as part of the yeah I and... think a little bit and we as Americans I think fall for that hardcore because we have no culture and that, like come from nowhere right. and have nothing so like it's easy to fetishize anything that seems like it has more history than we do yeah it's tricky to tell because like some of that stuff is is good and some of that stuff is nothing right but I mean when it comes to skincare you know what's the what's the harm at worst it's probably just moisturizing which is better than nothing right but <laughs> like, but like the the Western approach to skincare is very much uh, treatment of symptoms and right. not prevention right so like almost everything that you put on your skin to treat acne as someone who's dealt with acne for like forever is like salicylic acid benzoyl peroxide like those are all things that are like like hurt your skin they are like burning your skin they are destructive to skin they don't treat the skin as an organ which is just because like we have a very outside in approach to skincare and i think for stuff like moisturization and stuff like that's fine Mm -hmm. but the skin is like i think the the biggest organ on the the human on the human body and it's and and we're i think I think we might be doing it wrong. I think I wouldn't be surprised. Um, what are the theories behind like the systemic reasons for chronic acne? Are there theories? No, it, it's it's really tricky. I mean, like dermatologists will tell you everything from diet, which is anecdotal, to you know genetics. Obviously, it some seems like it's have... got to be genetics when you have like some cases that are like extreme cystic acne that like it can't be just that person for, ate badly. No, for sure. I think, I think it's a lot of like how much skin does, how much oil does your skin produce? How big are your pores? How easily do they clog? Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I will tell you, like anecdotally for me personally, there are certain foods that make me feel like I'm going to break out. And I don't know how else uh-huh. to describe it. Uh-huh. By the way, your skin looks great today. Hey, thank you. At home to know. Thank you. I was on Accutane for a long time. <laughs> and also, it's just a constant battle. About, Even at this age, it? really? I mean, at this, I don't know, hold you up. You're not in your teens. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, no, no, no. Still, not, not nearly as bad as it was. Yeah. Like, high school was real rough. But yeah, I still, I still, still fighting that fight. It's still I, trying to figure it out. Still doing research on Japanese products to hopefully make acne go away. <laughs> Well, that came about, you were working as a geisha, right? I was working as a geisha, and they did tell me that it was somewhat offensive for me to be doing it, <laughs> to which I countered, okay, but I want to. And they said, okay, well, that doesn't matter because you're sort of, you're sort of like treading on a tradition. And then I, I thought about it and I thought, you're right, but I want to. And that argument sort of didn't hold up. And so now I've stopped. That should really take precedent over everything. Because I did want to, wanted. I did want yeah. to very badly, right? And I, I tried tried to stress that maybe you're not hearing me when i say that i want right, i want this i want to be able to do whatever halloween costume yeah. i want and sort of ignore what culture it comes from because i want to and then they said you can't do that and i eventually just sort of caved uh, you can't do white face um, that's not yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean there, there was that really interesting story about this little white girl that wanted to have a traditional um I forget the culture specifically, but it was some it was some Asian tea ceremony. It might have been Japanese. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of argument on both sides of whether it was like offensive cultural appropriation or if it was just this little girl that wanted to like celebrate this culture that wasn't hers, but like truly celebrated. And it wasn't it wasn't like someone putting on a big sombrero for for you right. know Halloween. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't the sort of like thoughtless display of otherness. It was a very and like you know I think that's a. That's a conversation worth having for sure. We should yeah. celebrate other cultures. It's like, how do you do it? Did you see that story about that crazy town in Germany that has... Um, Black Peter? No, no that's no, Dutch. Dutch. That's oh. Dutch. But there's this one town in Germany that is like sister cities with... Uh, oh God, my, my specifics are killing me here. They basically do this like parade of the emperor where they do this very, very, very what outwardly looks... Um, racist ceremony where like the whole town basically like puts on eye makeup uh, and they parade a man with like a fake Fu Manchu through the streets and this This town like I think I found it there was an there was an there was an Asian journalist who was covering it I think it's I think he's Chinese and I think that um, but he I haven't found it his his sort of findings of it was like this this town um treats it really respectfully it's everyone that comes to watch it that mm-hmm. is like making a spectacle of it uh okay so it's just the fact that from the outside it looks yeah i found uh it says long live the emperor of dietfurt i turned off my ad blocker but this in german this site is telling me to do it again ah damn it uh okay a lot of strange things go on in germany during the week of carnival um blah 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 blah, blah. i turned off my ad blocker bitte deactivaten sie ihren ad blocker <laughs> Vita mit Adblocker. So German for Adblocker is Adblocker? I guess so. Uh, you, can you continue while I try to figure out how to I mean, that's, that's sort of the long and short of it, is that this journalist goes there to be like, how racist is this? What are these people's actual... What 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 is like the intent behind what they're doing? Yeah, um, which should matter. Which for sure should matter, but is is not... Yeah. Um, and, it, and he found that like... Everyone that was sort of involved in the festival was treating it, he thought, pretty respectfully and was pretty respectful towards him. It was people that came to the town to, like, view it that were 
distorting it. View, viewing it without the context yeah. that they bring to it. Uh, Str- the strangers are why we can't have nice things, yeah. is basically the... Dietfurt, does that sound right? Dietfurt? It does sound right. Village, a town of uh, 6,000? Yep, 6, that's it. That's it. And they do this every year. Um, there was a... I forget this. Bavarian I, I, Chinese. They become Bavarian Chinese uh, at the Rose Monday of this festival. They dress up in Asian costumes, hand over the rule of their town, at least metaphorically, to a, quote, Chinese emperor chosen from among the townspeople. <laughs> The town's mayor is relegated to the status of Imperial Mandarin for the week. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would look problematic, but uh, I, I I don't see pictures here. But um, interesting. It's fa- it was it was fascinating. It was a really interesting article. I wish I could find the actual one. Um, it draws tens of thousands of visitors. It's thought that when the local church demanded more taxes of the Dietfurters in the 1870s, residents refused to pay. They closed their doors and locked their walled town down so that nobody could collect the money. When helpless officials found themselves in front of the walled city, they likened the Bavarian townspeople to the Chinese who took shelter behind the Great Wall of China and yes. simply waited patiently for the enemy to leave. Yes, this is it. That's mm. the one that I saw. Oh, here it is. It was a Vice article, oh. I believe. Let me see. Yep, this is it. Vice Dietfurt. We will what, I, what, I, what I learned about racism as the only Chinese person at a Chinese festival. It's a Vice article. <laughs> uh, it was really interesting. We'll check. We'll and it's originally from Vice, Germany. Which is a W-E-I-S-S, right? Vice, yeah. <laughs> Which ironically means white, so it's, well, uh, this is extra problematic. Well, there you go. Anyway, they didn't let me be a geisha. Um, <laughs> but again, he really, wa- we can't stress enough, he wanted to. He wanted to very bad. You really, and I don't think they really understood the depth to which you, because you, you know, it wasn't just like a super casual thing. Mm-mm. You actually, like, one half level up from that wanted to. Not only that, I understood it a little bit. Right. Like, I kind of knew what it was and what I was doing. It yeah. wasn't just based on aesthetics. You'd watch, like, if not the full Memoirs of a Geisha but movie, I know, but you saw, I like, know a trailer. Ex- I yeah. know it exists. Mm-hmm. I know that that movie is a thing. So, you're, like, that shows a cultural understanding that is exactly. far beyond... Okay, well, you, you guys research. are being much more generous than they were. <laughs> we could write you a letter of recommendation if you could want. Could you? Yeah. I think it'd be your... I think that time of my life has passed, to be totally uh. honest. <laughs> I'm glad I made a run of it. Well, while we're talking about pastimes in your, your life, we like to ask our guests this before we get deep into the stories. What, if anything, is your background in science? And that's ranged from like people who took courses in college to people who just had a one teacher that they liked at school or blew stuff up in the woods with their friends. Okay, yeah. Um, I mean, I have a bachelor's degree, so I took you know the science classes necessary to have that degree. I think I took like an environmental... Uh, environmental disaster science class is one of the mm-hmm. last ones like I really remember. And you're, you're sure not thinking of the time you saw Armageddon, right? Well, I, di- I definitely haven't seen that movie, but I again know that it exists. Okay. And I'm also not thinking about the movie uh, where Dance. where uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has to deal with the very big earthquake <laughs> oh, right. in Los Angeles. San Andreas. San Andreas, right. Um, and I didn't need to watch that movie because I, I, I've lived through earthquakes here, so I know oh, what okay. it's about. Have they done all of the different natural disasters now in Hollywood movies, or is there one that's left to go? Have we done uh, global warming yet? Yeah, 2012. And, I mean, that was about like the Earth's magnetic field uh, goes away, right? And and then, well, there was also, was it the day after tomorrow or something? Oh, that's the one, yeah, yeah. Where, but it flipped the other way around, so suddenly it was global cooling. Oh. Too cold. Or everything just sort of was a global... Was that the one? I didn't see it, but that's, that sounds right. That rings a bell. Oh, and I think I'm confusing the core with 2012. Maybe 2012 was like a Mayan apocalypse thing. I think we've got, we've got a, a tsunami movie that I think was just like the real story of the Indonesian mm-hmm. tsunami. That was called Johnny Tsunami. Right, of course. That's the channel. <laughs> the 80s. Uh, <laughs> I remember that Keanu one. Reeves' Johnny Tsunami. That's right. <laughs> uh, we've got earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricane. I don't know about a hurricane movie. Can you think of a good hurricane movie? Uh, 
Twister. Mm. Twister, but wet. Twister, but wet. wet. Twister. wet, twister. <laughs> wet, wet that might have been summer. an adult film. <laughs> <laughs> what else can you uh, have? That, that was the more popular sequel to Dry Twister, which uh, <laughs> <laughs> dry twi- dry, didn't dry work twister, as well. Dry, people did not like it. No, no, no. Oh, it was such a Test horny the, movie, Dry film, Twister. Yeah. People did not love it. Um, <laughs> it's a lot of like corduroy. Oh, dry <laughs> so twister. much friction. Uh, um, have we had have we had fire movie oh, backdraft? But like, if you had like a wildfire movie, there must have been uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender. There fires in there. There's the fire is is the bad guy in okay. that movie for most of it until then. At the end, now fire is also the good guy. Oh, I'm sorry, you said Avatar: Last Airbender, mm-hmm. not Avatar. I was no, not Avatar. Lost me at Avatar. No, I'm talking about when the everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Okay, with we um, are a different generation. Yeah, Did you know okay. of the, the show before the? No, comic, I'm no, I'm not a different generation. Just too old to be watching that show. No, <laughs> Wait, so it was a show then a movie or what's the? Yeah, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Uh, I don't know if Nickelodeon actually. Um, I think it might be a Nickelodeon original series, but it's it's basically an American-made anime that had oh. like four seasons and then became a very bad M Night Shyamalan movie. Does it have a twist? Is it one of the ones that? No, it's it? just a really good series that starts off like a kids' show and then grows into like a pretty incredible and um, so, sort of nuanced discussion about like what enemy forces actually are (laughs) like it's kind of wild because if there's like the four nations and it's all like vaguely magical it's like the water people they can control water and there's the earth people and they can control earth and then there's the last airbender and there's like basically a genocide where they're all dead except for one of them and then there's the fire nation who's basically like have taken over the world and other ruling class and then, but the, then you find out that not everyone that lives in the Fire Nation is a bad guy, Andy. Oh. Some of them are good, even the, though some of them are bad. Does, it, does the Fire Nation <laughs> recognize that they require oxygen for combustion and therefore they better be nice to the airbender? You know, there is like air sort of everywhere, regardless of whether what or not the airbender it? is bending it or okay. not. So they can, also he does bend it and they are not prepared. I didn't for realize his, that the airbender is a bender of air. Oh, yeah. What did you think he did? I don't know. I just thought it was like a phrase. Sounds well, like the last euphemism. Hey, man, that dude's the last airbender. You know what I mean? I was like, you're being a real last. You're really the last of the airbenders right now with that food order that you just put in. It just sounds like a fry. You're dipping your fries in a shake. What an airbender. <laughs> I don't even know what that would mean, but I love That's that your take. Friend on who it. was always farting, obviously. <laughs> man, that dude's a real <laughs> last air. Man, don't eat chili, man. You're gonna yeah. turn into a real airbender right out here. <laughs> if only. It also sounds a little bit like not uh, appropriate. It sounds like a slur that maybe shouldn't be used. An I, don't, I don't know why. No, bending is the form of magic. So like yeah. there's water benders and earth benders and fire benders. That's what this podcast is about, right? For me, for <laughs> yeah. me talking about. I believe so. This. It's a kind of science. That's a kind of something. Magic is... They're ma- the different elements. Well, who was it that said that... Uh, uh, Any sufficiently... Advanced science is indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. Was that Arthur C. Clarke or was that... I think I said that. Ooh. You did. I it was it you. Was it was Zach Reno. I think it was me. And people said you didn't. And then I said, but I did but want to. But I just to. did. I did want to very badly. <laughs> How's that quote be more? Um, Arthur C. Clarke. Who did say that? It was one of those. Let's, let's all guess before we look it up. All right, um, my, I'm putting in my guess for Arthur C. Clarke. from magic. It's definitely one of the science fiction writers who has a real background in science. I think it's. Okay. I think it's um, uh, foundation. I think it's Asimov. Asimov. All right, we got one I, vote for Asimov. I, one vote I, for Arthur C. Clarke. I like Asimov too. It's Arthur C. Clarke. Right. Oh, nice You're work. Right. It is Arthur C. Clarke. That was the third of Arthur C. Clarke's three laws. 
Oh, he's got three laws. laws. Okay. Not, not the that, that rules of thumbs. No, that was Asimov. Asimov. But the other two are. Uh, well, do you want to take a guess? <laughs> I mean, I'm reading it right now. Wait, wait, the and there's, a, of... there's a qualifier in here that makes this first law wild. What What is the category into which all these laws fall again? These are all just things. They, they're just his... rules of thumb about about the world, about the world, and understanding of science. Uh, and it's sufficiently. I will tell you this: they are unguessable. So well, take a while well swing. The, give me the topic of the first one. Old people. Really? Kind of. The, I'll give you the first four, five words. Okay. Oh, six words. When a... Di- <laughs> seven, eight, nine. Yeah, you Maybe have the to, because there's, there's nonsense at the beginning of this one. When a distinguished but elderly scientist <laughs> states... Number one? It's just this is what I'm one. saying. So yeah. I finished the quote. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm gonna leave it there and see if Andy can fit it. When, when a, a distinguished, distinguished but elderly scientist states... When in the course of elderly scientists um, <laughs> states, I know what I'm talking about, you got to say, but do you for real? You're in the right that's, field. That's not far off. <laughs> really? So it's, that's wildly uh, close. It's a bit more specific than that. I'll tell you. It's basically you should distrust someone who's been in the game too long? Uh, distrust and trust in different situations. Okay. So he, it is gendered in a way that I think he, I hope he uh, wouldn't have written today. It's probably a long time ago. But uh, when a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. I don't understand why he has to be distinguished or elderly. I know it's also problematic that he's a man, because scientists can be everything. But, uh, but I think uh, also it's more likely, certainly back in the day, that an elderly scientist who was elderly at the time that Arthur C. Clarke came up with this rule. Oh, who would that... be like, these old people are saying that's impossible and they're probably wrong. Yeah, so I, I think that's... So I think it's, it's necessary, it's sufficient... Uh, so when a scientist, when a when a scientist with sufficient experience and and qualification and knowledge in the field says something is possible, that probably means that they've seen something with their experience that is that means that bit, they might not have it, but they've got a good grasp of what can be done or what may be possible in the future. It's, it's but when they of, say something is impossible, it probably means that their age and prejudices are blocking their. Right. It's basically saying like believe them if they're being optimists, and if they're not, don't. Yeah, <laughs> like which means they tend to neither under nor overestimate. Well, it, it also sort of is saying believe them when they are being complimentary about the future achievements of their of their juniors, and disbelieve them when they're being dismissive of the potential achievements of their juniors. So basically, the juniors are always going to be able to do things. Basically, is what this is saying. Or at least, yeah. I, but would there be a corollary where you would say that a younger scientist saying that something is impossible should be listened to? Or basically, can you just make this even wider and just I say, don't just believe like, anybody Don't, don't listen to any young person. Don't, yeah. uh, like, don't listen to the old person, though. So who is, who is in a position to say when something is impossible? And then, and then rule two is the only way of discovering the limits of the possible. So answering your question. Okay. Uh, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. Oh, vague. I like it. Didn't he fall, die like falling off the edge of a cliff, though? <laughs> well, did he, or did he die venturing a little bit into the impossible? <laughs> this is the this is the dilemma. Have we talked about the Theranos documentary on this yet? I still haven't seen it. But I mean, you know the story behind the company. Yes. She thought she could make something impossible, and everyone said it was impossible, and it was impossible. <laughs> yeah. So, um, like, when do you? Th- th- like, and by everyone, the way, also, uh, well, I. I I want to watch the documentary, but also you should watch the documentary and then look online to see Janet Varney 
Oh, it's great. Yeah. Who? Who I imagine does a pretty incredible Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, impression. she does a very good impression of it. She already looks and sounds just a bit enough like her. Oh, let's not say she sounds like her. Okay, well, she she's put to. on a city yeah. voice, yeah. <laughs> but she certainly looks. She certainly looks enough like her, and then is a very funny, as as you know, friend of the show, Janet Varney, yeah. hilarious human being and very good comic actor. She's the best. Yeah, uh, I sort of love the whole Theranos. I love that this like woman basically conned. So, so many people, but particularly it, old rich white men, into giving her, like, a lot of money. For those who don't know, it, it's kind of, in a way, it's, it's the fire Festival of Pharmaceuticals. Yeah. It's the same... It's, it's, like the, it's, as, it's like the fire Festival of Pharmaceuticals if there was a weird moral argument to be made for it. Had she been well, telling for the, it. Right, had she, she been thought, telling the truth. She and I was, think she thought she was going to do something good. Well, she and the thing, the thing that she created, this sort of, like... She was trying to basically make a much less invasive and much more affordable screening test for all these sort of... Yeah, the, the, the idea for it, and I haven't seen the documentary, but I've read a bit about it, and there's a book about it that's meant to be amazing that mm-hmm. I think the doc was big based on. Yeah, but, my wife is. I think, just finished it. Um, but the, the idea behind it is that with this new nanotechnology or what, whatever it was meant to be, you can run a whole load of blood tests on a pinprick of blood rather than previously where you'd have to get a blood drawer and have like half a vial of blood to run these tests so you could this tiny amount of blood you could run all these this battery of tests on and therefore have very easy access to a lot of blood tests you wouldn't have to go to an invasive uh blood draw center yeah in this one cube it's like one foot square one foot cubed basically yeah so you could just go you know they'd have they'd have all these machines and they did have these machines in um in pharmacists around the country, but they you just go to like used. a Rite Aid or CVS or whatever, and the idea well, that was, was but that was just to take the that was just to take the blood. They shipped right. the blood sample back to where this company had all these machines that were secret. The, the machines themselves, Didn't I don't believe, work. were ever in Walmart. They, they were. They could only do it like one or two. Well, tests that's the thing. They like did that. work for a very specific number of tests. They just didn't work for the vast, vast, vast yeah. majority of the things that they were promised to do. And this company was surreptitiously. Like, you would show up and be like, I was told I only need a pinprick of blood to get this test. And they're like, well, no, the test you selected, we actually need to draw your blood. And they're basically doing it by traditional means. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, she was never she never had the device she was promising to make. But that's also the kind of hubris that has led other people to success when eventually they do make the thing that right. they see is impossible. And you can see why so many but, people were so willing. Like, it had so many elements for something that people were willing to buy into. Firstly, the sort of young female entrepreneur who is pushing this new technology like that's exciting in itself and you're sort of raising the voice of this young woman in tech and, and she's this got idea the, yeah, yeah and the idea the behind the technology if it works as well is like oh this would be, be a huge health boon people who were putting off getting these tests for whatever reasons can just go into their pharmacy and spend less than a minute getting a finger prick right so this is a problem that is entirely created by the fact that our, our 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 health insurance and medical system is so <laughs> fucked beyond the pale. But like this problem doesn't exist if all these tests are free, except for if people are like afraid of getting blood drawn. And it, it, it's which is when you have to do it a lot. Yeah, I can see why this a pinprick would be better than plugging into your arm on a regular basis every every, every week having to drive yeah, a blood. Even drawn. if it yeah, were for free, sure. for it sure. still would have been better. That's but, that's true. But yeah, the fact that we have this culture that prioritizes the like showmanship of the entrepreneurial aspect of the thing besides before the actual practical implementation of it and she's emulated steve jobs obviously with the mock turtleneck and stuff like she's the voice to be she him. puts on a voice right. affectation it's really weird right 
but you know, I think she meant well. But it, and and also we are, I think in general we are programmed now to really like. I I think people love the idea of the sort of pioneering individual, right? And I think in science as well, we see this a lot. It's we we cover these stories on the show, and we're going to get into a bunch of stories this uh, episode where there's the lead researcher, but they will they're working with a team, and it's not and it's reported as like a one up. This has just been reported, but it's the culmination of years of research and yeah. groups of people, and the research is built on other people's research and other teams' research right. and so on. It, it like science is a slow. Cr- it's very rare that sort of that someone's like, oh, I did penicillin. I yeah. did it by myself. I did it. And it. There are there are those things in science. You know, you every. But they're very re- rarely you right. get like an Einstein who just comes along and turns everything on his head with one theory. Yeah. But that's so rare in science, and or like this one tech entrepreneur who go like who single handedly creates this idea. That's, but people love this idea of like the. It, it's also in politics. That, I mean, that's very much the strongman. That's you know. I don't want to sort of bang on the whole, but the Trumpy thing. But that's mm-hmm. that is largely it's it's appealing in a way to have this like this guy's gonna fix it. Yeah, this guy yeah. this guy can and, do science for and us left all. Or, left and right. You know, whoever you right, know, yeah. Obama's gonna fix it. Or Hillary's gonna whatever. It's this sort of idea of like this one person is gonna be this is the voice we need to push us in the right direction, rather than this sort of slow tug of war between yeah. hundreds and thousands of people. And, and I think I don't I don't think it's bad for people to be like to to trust in leaders like that the thing you have to watch out for is when the leader says and only i can do this that's, yes that's that oh. is the red flag and all like because i think there are scientists who have who are or you know and, and politicians or whatever who have incredible vision and incredible drive and make incredible things but i think that you want the ones that also have the humility to be like and here are all the people that helped me get to where i am today and will help me like yeah. do do whatever because anyone that says otherwise is lying to you and is like a megalomaniac right yeah. and that's also the risk of uh in science of the sort of uh well the the, the galileo <laughs> fallacy that he oh wait what's the fallacy that, that is he- is that is that what it's called the uh I'm trying to think of what he would have done that is credited to him that's not right. He dropped, dropped the, stuff the, off the, the feather and the tower. thing. He which did a did, telescope. Which wouldn't have worked because it wasn't in a vacuum, though, right? He was just... <laughs> what was he proving? Yeah, no, no, he, I, he dropped a big thing and a small thing, and they hit the ground at the same time. But they, but they would only do that like in a vacuum on the moon, whatever. He did, but... air resistance. The we idea... I, I want to make sure I get this completely right before I sort of start uh, holding off that. But So Galileo was persecuted by the catholic church at the time because he was promoting a the heliocentric, heliocentric. model of the right. solar system hell yeah i remember something from school right so that's he was saying the planets revolve around the sun which they do and this then the but church at the, the time one. was yeah. and again absolutely he wasn't the only one but the church at the time was sort of saying we live on earth earth Earth, Earth is, is the center. Earth we is it. God's here. Jesus is here. We're all these, chilling here. Observe these paintings. Yes. That prove otherwise. <laughs> look at our look at our science paintings. We did. <laughs> exactly. But the, the fallacy and here's a sort of neat description of it. Uh, the claim that because an idea is forbidden, uh, prosecuted, detested, or otherwise mocked, it must be true or should be given uh, more credibility. Oh, okay. Well, I wonder if that's sort of putting some fuel on like flat Earth. 
Right. Like well, every, I, everyone is saying, like, this is ridiculous. Like, they, well, they must have something to hide. Yeah. They <laughs> said Galileo was crazy. They said he uh, was wrong. What are they? Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Uh, which leads to this idea of, like, the soul. People love this image of the rogue scientist who goes against the, the grain. Yeah. Rather than most rogue scientists who are just like, here's a mild alteration to the current theory. Mm. <laughs> Here is a... No, it's more exciting to you got to have, have big ideas. And sure. Hollywood loves that shit. Well. Both in science and in it. general. You love the one guy who's like, "No, you got to believe me. They're trying to attack us." And like the general like, "You you get this crazy guy out of here. <laughs> Lock him up." What was the story behind Awakenings? That was um Sackler? No. What was the name of the doctor from that movie? I don't know. He's also the one who had the book about a man who thought his wife was a hat, right? Oh, and combining Sax? Sax. Yeah, awakenings. Wasn't there some like drug he gave these catatonic people that did bring them back? To, I'm sure the movie like exaggerated the effects of it, but I thought that was a case of of like here's a crazy idea for a medication that actually does give maybe. Well, here's another crazy thing. While we are on that, because this story was all over the news this week, scientists have managed to reactivate a pig's brain. Oh yeah. So this, oh, by the way, sorry, it was Malcolm Sayer. But okay. Ahead, uh, opening up big new questions about ethics and what death really means. Scientists restored some activity within the brains of pigs that had been slaughtered hours before, raising hopes for some medical advances uh, and questions about the definition of death. But the brains could not think or sense anything. Researchers stressed, but they <laughs> I mean, but they could cry know? for help. Okay, <laughs> no, but well, they couldn't think or sense. But there was brain activity. Mm. By medical standards, this is not a living brain, said okay. Nenad Seston of the Yale School of Medicine, who is one of the researchers. And clearly, we have a great definition of what life and death are. We still it's don't have like ironclad. any. We still don't have any idea on brains, right? No. We don't know anything about them. We know well. We know a lot of stuff about them, but it is so complicated that that is still such a small percentage yeah. of the picture. And mm. and models. We talked about this. I can't remember who the scientist was. So this is an episode ages ago. It was one of the first live episodes. That Andy wasn't there for. It was one that I did at a conf- at a sort of convention oh, yeah, yeah. in Minneapolis, but um, talked about how sort of at any given we we now talk about the brain as being like a computer, mm-hmm. but only because in any given era we sort of talk about the brain in terms of what the most advanced technology of the time is. Okay. So back, so back before we had computers, we'd been like, "Well, this brain is a very good abacus." Yeah, it sort of <laughs> is, and it's like, a, or a, or a sort of calculating it, engine or it, a steam engine right. or whatever. It, it's more complicated than anything we have, so we don't really have the terms in which to or, define it. Or at least it sort of works in a different way to any kind of technology we have. So we, yeah. So our analogy is always based on whatever the sort of computing That's technology of the time and is. It's always changing. Yeah, because we because no matter what technology we have, like until we have something that is comparable to a brain, we will always be trying to describe. Like, <laughs> it would be like, how do you describe, uh, like a car, if there is no other technology around? Mm-hmm. Like, if a car was the only machine that existed, like how what would you say it was? You would be like, well, it's a horse. You know what a horse? It's is. a yeah. horse. It's a horse where. Okay, it, it's, it's like a horse, a horse but with a can, basket. But you can sit in the horse, <laughs> and the feet of the horse, like 
it's a totally spin. It's they spin. <laughs> they spin a lot. It's like a totally uh, insufficient way of describing <laughs> a thing because we don't have like Any the hoops. vocabulary. Instead it of spins hay, a lot. You don't feed. No, sorry. You do feed, feed it. it. You feed it oil. <laughs> you have to feed it. <laughs> okay, this isn't helping. But you it feel it oil <laughs> from the back. You feed it oil from the back. Has little explosions in its belly. <laughs> and, hooves spin and its eyes blink depending on which way it's about to turn. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like a rad horse. To be totally honest, I actually saw <laughs> a lot of the picture I would get in my head is way cooler than a car. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you listen to, do you listen to the? Like, maybe I shouldn't. Whatever we talk about, uh, the Sam Harris podcast. Mm-hmm. Ever this last episode was like a four-hour-long thing on AI with three different experts, and yeah, they talk about how and one of them wasn't real, and you have to guess which one <laughs> was the artificial. <laughs> but yeah, it just talked about like we have to get beyond the the this like algorithm based way of looking at computation and of brains because yeah like neural networks aren't about a strict algorithm but about you know weighted probabilities and sort of i don't even totally understand neural <laughs> networks i mean do you no i don't but it's not like it's like a this happens then this happens and if that then that it's we sort of talked about a bit again in the episode with john eric hoffman a while back yeah where he talks about the neural networks and machine learning like at no point can you open it up and be like ah oh, there's the the sort of ghost of the machine or this is the state of the code right now where it's right um there's something i just watched this is from an anime show again so i'm sorry but they were they were making this this strange argument for like kindness as not a uh innate function of humans mm-hmm. like humans are not built to be kind so anytime someone is kind it's like very much this victory of mm-hmm. culture right because kindness is not a thing that helps our survival in any way even in like a I mean, I guess it does, but Although it's, does it? Yeah, because it's it's that is one of those things where kindness is a sort of innate thing. I I can see two ways in which it would help the survival of your genes, both in terms of like the survival of the tribe rather than the individual. Mm-hmm. That which was I think an update to the idea of evolution, where you real, where people realized, oh, it's not just about you share a lot of your genes with your family and with your tribe, therefore being helpful and uh benevolent even if it even if like self-sacrifice even if it stops your direct genes from being passed on it does help your 90 percent of your genes by but helping in more your... cases that tribe then helps you back so you stay alive because of right so it's so it, yeah it's two different you. things i think like yeah. where kindness can help firstly it helps the survival of the tribe even mm-hmm. if it doesn't help you specifically but also this reciprocal idea of trust is gained between but even that is a jump right because in in the moment right in an individual action i think and it's, it's a little hard to we're defining it nebulously but kindness as an action that is you giving away resources to someone else right that could be used on yourself is a leap of faith that i think is not uh inherent or instinctive to the human species because we're all about like survival shelter all this stuff and well i I don't know if that's true also because like mother animals like take care of their young so yeah i was talking out of my ass here but i think i think there is a little bit of a human jump in which like we don't we don't celebrate kindness as a sort of override of instinct as a way that as much as we maybe should Mm -hmm. maybe not entirely it's Mm -hmm. i think it probably does have um, some core, deep-rooted benefit that we feel instinctively, but I think a lot of it is learned in a way that is cool about uh, right, humans. Right, right. 
as a species um, and so, beneficial to so, all. Yeah. So in, the, in this article uh, or in this study, the brains could, it's not a living brain, but the work de- revealed a surprising degree of resilience among cells within a brain that had lost its supply of blood and oxygen. Cell death, according to Sestan, in the brain occurs across a larger time window than we previously thought. Such research might lead to new therapies for stroke and other conditions, as well as provide a new way to study the brain and how drugs work in it, say the researchers. They, they have no current techniques or plans to try their techniques on human brains. Uh, so what happened was... Well, the, sure they say that. Yeah. The 32, what would you say? That's whatever the brain tells me to. The 32 brains came from pigs killed for food at a local slaughterhouse. Scientists put the brains into an apparatus in their lab four hours after the animals died. That's a long time. Scientists began pumping a specially designed blood substitute through the organs. The brains showed no large-scale electrical activity that would indicate awareness. Restoring consciousness was not a goal of the study. Thank, thank God. That'd be horrifying. <laughs> yeah. But it was aimed instead at exploring whether particular functions might be restored long after death. After six hours of pumping, scientists found that individual brain cells in one area of the brain had maintained key details of their structure, while cells from untreated brains had severely degraded. When scientists removed these neurons from treated brains and stimulated them electrically, the cells responded in a way that indicated viability. And by studying the artificial blood before it enters the treated brains and after it emerged, researchers found evidence that the brain cells were absorbing blood, sugar, and oxygen and producing carbon dioxide, which is a signal that they are functioning. Okay. So it seems like we're on the path to being able to, like, someone has a stroke, right? And yes. At which point ticking clock yes yeah, so the bits of that brain start to die after a stroke which is what causes the problems that follow so and maybe we have right and maybe we have something that can be now applied in an ambulance while someone is en route to this a is, hospital this is definitely obviously many years off but i think this is one of the aims of the study is to get better idea as to what's actually happening when brain cells die and how to prevent or reverse that process science is cool do you guys say that a lot on this podcast <laughs> it's pretty cool we don't say <laughs> it enough we should take a moment to say science is cool it. it's pretty sweet i mean it's also scary to think about some of this kind of stuff because like yeah we're lucky right now that we d- we didn't see neural activity when they brought it back because if they had we what, would, have to what would we have to then say about what's <laughs> happening and what the ethics of like yeah could this thing be partially alive and partially feeling pain? yeah well it does say uh it also said they responded to a drug that makes vessels widen but uh, Sestan said researchers don't know whether they could restore normal whole brain function if they chose that goal. If such consciousness had appeared in the reported experiment, scientists would have used an anesthesia and low temperatures to quash it and stop the experiment. Uh, there, there is no good ethical consensus about doing such research if the brain is conscious. Yeah, because we don't we don't have a definition of consciousness, so how could there be? <laughs> right. Like it's also the, one of the dilemmas of AI. If we do create something that is conscious. Then do we have now an obligation to treat it like we treat right. a can human? We, can like, we turn it off? We, That's yeah, murder. Yeah. Or yeah, yeah, and also, uh, uh, like you said before, there is there is no clear consensus as to what death means. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's there again. It's yeah. sort of back in the day. Definitions have to keep being changed and updated. Right. Back in the day, it would be like, oh, the heart has stopped beating. That is death. Right. But now but, we have brain death. We have... Yes. Even that's sort of vaguely defined. And there are I plenty think. of there are plenty of examples. I know some people who had... Who you know, were like, I died on the operating table, whatever. My, I flatlined. Anyone that had had open heart surgery in a... In a, in a you know, in a procedure where they would have to stop your heart to do right would be legally dead, right? By a sort of like nineteen hundreds def or like yeah, yeah. nineteen oh five definition, that is dead. That person is dead. But now, you know, no, we kept the blood pumping through the body by artificial means and the ox- and kept it oxygenated and 
and that person woke up with no with the same brain functions as they did before they they were knocked out right yeah hmm some tricky stuff but for now we're pretty sure i guess that these pigs were not temporarily these pigs didn't know no they 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 definitely were this was 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 a, a few brain cells and I mean, let's not forget, in the first place, they were killed to be eaten, so it's like, <laughs> we're already on ethical, uh, weird territory. Yeah. Matt's, Matt's in the clear as a vegetarian, <laughs> vegan, but... Uh, right, we've decided that we can eat animals, right? and that's sort of indisputable it's, as a culture. We've been like, no, these are for, we eat these. Yeah. We take these living things and we eat them. I don't feel great about it. Uh, yeah, me neither. There is another study that was just linked to off this article, that an implant has turned thoughts to speech. Scientists developed a brain implant that can read people's minds and turn their thoughts to speech, which the, f- the team at the UC San Francisco say is exhilarating. This isn't is the it? one that looks at the micro movements of like muscles related to forming words, is it? Like what we covered before? Um, sometimes when you think in terms of actual words, you make you subconsciously tiny like, bits of the mm. movements where you would be speaking the word. I think it might be. Oh, it's certainly that. close, yes. But this is a story that was only posted two hours ago on the BBC News website. Okay. So, so it must I be don't new. know if it's different. I'm checking it out as well. Did let's you, let's did, jump onto a different story anyway. I think this is, that reminds me vaguely of, and I think this might have been in the Theranos documentary, about the guy who was talking about lie detector tests and how they work. Oh, like, yeah. They're sort of like morally coded. Like if you are like the the test doesn't pick up whether you're lying, it picks up whether you are doing something bad. You think is wrong, right? So like if that if, dice thing, yeah, it's the dice thing for charity. So if basically like I this is a this is not the exact version of it, but like I'm gonna you have me hooked up to a lie detector. You've told me that whatever I roll on the dice, like you're gonna donate that many thousands of dollars to charity, right? So I roll a dice and I get two snake eyes, but I want you to donate. Uh, $12,000 so I say like oh this is two sixes right um, lie detector test will not pick that up because my brain is like this is a moral decision right you're doing a good thing by lying I'm doing right a now. good thing yeah so they were saying like maybe Elizabeth Holmes is in that same camp right now if she really believes that what she is doing is right a lie detector- well, I, th- I think that's definitely there are certainly compulsive liars who and pathological and if don't psychopaths in general, people displaying psychopathy, will generally beat lie detectors because again they don't so, yeah. because they, they, don't, don't, they don't feel don't do bad about their like, actions. Right, exactly. Even if they sort of, even if they do sort of have some vague moral code where they go like, "Oh no, I know what I'm doing is wrong." I also don't give a shit. Right, which is why it's like the te- the test is like sort of misnamed. It should be called like a discomfort detector, mm, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> guilt detector, a guilt yeah. detector. Um, yeah, the same way I think OJ would totally pass lie detector at this point. Like he just convinced himself of this alternate reality. Right. Or me, if you asked, like, is it okay for you to be a geisha? <laughs> right. The answer is, the answer is, is definitely the no, thing. but I won't say that on the <laughs> test. Um, U.S. scientists say they've used HIV to make a gene therapy that cured eight infants of severe combined immunodeficiency, otherwise known as bubble boy disease. Mm. So... Huh. The, the boy in the bubble off of the film and the stor- various news stories. The idea of these babies born with little to no immune protection now have fully functional immune systems thanks to this research developed in Tennessee that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. It's sort of a hair of the dog kind of thing. It's like, let's give, let's go even farther into yeah. this. You, got, you don't have an immune system? Let's give you even less and then it'll somehow double back again and make you... I've always been... I don't know if any... like. It seems like... Be, 
super destructive viruses, if we could figure out how to replicate them, are like such a good delivery system oh, yeah. for Well, that's, for good things. that's for definitely some, the case. Yeah. And yeah. HIV has been modified and used for other treatments because, it, again, it has this ability to sort of survive, survive and, and, like, yeah, yeah. And, and get into bits of the body that most diseases can't. So the gene therapy involved collecting the baby's bone marrow and correcting the genetic defect in their DNA soon after their birth. So um, the correct gene was used to fix the defect. Uh, It was inserted into an altered version of one of HIV, the virus that causes AIDS. Researchers said most of the babies were discharged from the hospital within one month. And these, again, to remind you, are babies that otherwise would have to live in completely sterile conditions and rarely make it past infancy because of how vulnerable they are to any kind of disease. Oh, my God. Mm. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Have you all 'all talked about, like, AIDS medication and how... how how fast it progressed over the last we haven't but it is that's again a remarkable leap in from when we were when i was a kid I remember it's just it was, oh, a, a, it was a de- it was i was a alive ten- during the yeah during the plague it, it, era it was a 10-year death sentence right and now people uh, i mean it's tri- like you have to be very good about when you take drugs and what and but and, you even then um it's, people I, can live 50 years after an AIDS diagnosis now. Yeah, a f- f- friend of, well, a couple of friends of ours, including one friend I think has been on the podcast, has yeah. HIV. And yeah, it's it's down to like one pill a day. It's down to... Oh, is it that little? Really? I think so. Wow. I, I might need to double check that. But it's definitely very, very limited. Used to, even when it first came in, you have to have, have these cocktails of huge hard-to-swallow drugs. Right, and now right, it's right. down to a simple pill. Um, That's amazing. And in fact, I think it's now to the point that it has little to no effect on life expectancy. Yeah. It, uh, sorry, I said 50 years, but it's I think, it, like I think just it's, regular life it's, it's like however... Like, well, yeah. I think it can be longer than that. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, yeah, and even in some cases can increase life expectancy because what happens is once you've been diagnosed as HIV positive, you... People will You're getting more frequent checkups in general. <laughs> exactly, you are going to the doctor far more frequently. You're regularly checking in. You are just more, hopeful- you're more mindful of your may- health. Exactly, maybe checking your lifestyle a bit because there are still some things. I, I again, one of my friends who's HIV positive has to, she had to have has to have be careful about certain foods because mm-hmm. she's still slightly immunocompromised. She's she's still immunocompromised to an extent. A uh, drug. Like, if she falls ill, it'll hit her longer. Like, even the cold will hit her harder. Sure. Um, and she has to be careful about... It's almost similar to the rules for pregnant people in terms of, like, you've uh. you got to be careful about sushi. You've got to be careful about mm. certain raw food. But, you probably should be a little cogniz- cognizant of regardless, but... Exactly. Um, but it happens so fast. Or this was, like, the 80s we were talking yeah, about. Yeah, considering like, how slow anything cancer-related has come, but maybe it's just... The difference between viral things and uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. I would like to believe that we'll see in our lifetime. But but even Can, that can, cancer cures huge breakthroughs in cancer. I don't You'd know. hope I mean, yeah. is hard. I mean, cancer is such like a huge umbrella right, of different right. things. Well, that's but the other thing. Like which which again, when people kind of go like this, this is the cure for cancer. The doctors don't want you to know. Like the cure for all cancer, all of, all of them, <laughs> all of them, even though they. There are so many different kinds that all work by different mechanisms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we got it. It's all of them. <laughs> Name one. Acai berries. Yep. It's that one. <laughs> is it pomegranate? It is. Which one is it? It's, it's acai berries. Now Jamba Juice. Sponsored by Jamba yeah. Juice. Um, we cure, other, we cure cancer. Other bear, uh, mangosteen? Was that a thing for me? I don't remember mangosteen. Mangosteen sounds like... <laughs> 
Megostein sounds like Megostein uh, sounds like my Jewish uncle has like changed his first name for a fun yeah. <laughs> for a fun joke. <laughs> For like the summer party, Daniel Mangostein tonight, (laughs) and I'm on an island holiday. I'm on an island holiday, Daniel. What are you doing? I'll see you at Passover. Uh, this is this has been quite a life sciences heavy episode, but I don't mind that. There's another story that came out a week or so ago, just a new study. What we're talking about has been the theme of this episode in general, sort of dodgy pseudoscience and science in general. Um, Magic a, science. A new big study has shown evidence has been there for a while that it, the the headline, which is a little, a little clickbaity, but I still appreciate it. It's an Ars Technica headline that is the nutrition study that the thirty billion dollar supplement industry doesn't want you to see. Oh, if they don't want me to see it, I gotta see that. I gotta see it. Supplements but, are. But, but then the story is <laughs> legit. Uh, a decade long observational study of more than thirty thousand people finds that certain vitamins and minerals might may help extend your life and keep you from dying of cardiovascular disease, but only if you get the beneficial nutrients from food, not from supplements. The study published... Wait, 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 wait. So the vitamins are good, but you can't take them as vitamins. You have to take them as food. Basically, yeah, like if you... Eating oranges and other citrus fruit, for example, but rather than taking vitamin C tablets. But then, even then, I've, then I've heard also like you can't even blend stuff because that destroys some of the benefits. Like so, it's like Mother Nature wants you to eat things just, in just, the in the least palatable way. Just possible. eat the food. Just eat the broccoli. No one likes to eat the broccoli. Just eat it own. though, and okay, it, it, just fine. eat it. Just Why can't I blend it. it up and put it in a? You can cook. You can cook it a little bit because yeah. your body can't digest it fully when it's raw. <laughs> and that's also that. There's theories that. The invention of cooking, the development of cooking food after mm-hmm. humans controlled fire and then realized that they could put food over the top of it, drove... After we became firebenders. Once we became the firebenders, that drove some of the evolution of the brain because the brain needs so much energy to fuel it. And you you get more of it out of cooked food than out of raw food? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, what about all the paleo people? Because the cooking process breaks down is the first stage of breaking down the food so it makes it easier to digest. So you don't have to spend all your energy breaking it down. Exactly. So you, so you absorb more energy. The raw fuel people are benefiting from the people that cooked food before them. <laughs> uh, um, evolutionarily speaking. So this study published in the Annals of Internal Medicine is yet another to find that taking supplemental vitamins and minerals, either individually or in multivitamins, uh, sorry, multivitamins, <laughs> Offers no. Thank you. I had no yeah, idea. I, 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 not even using context because I was like, I was like, what's he talking what about? is he talking <laughs> about? I have no idea. It's and there's Chinese, no and there's no sort of like know. breaking down of the word no, I can use to even no figure it out. Give... <laughs> I had no idea. Thank you for explaining, Matt. You're welcome. If I switch, I'm going to go back to multivitamins, but you'll now Say know it. what I'm talking about. Yes, I will. We, now we have the Rosetta Stone of this word, mm-hmm. so we can We've refer back to this part. We've cracked the code. It offers no discernible benefits in terms of reducing risk of death generally or death from cardiovascular disease and cancers specifically. Simply put, popping pills can't take the place of eating a healthy diet. Uh, moreover, the study didn't just find that a lack, of benef- a lack of benefits from supplements, it also found potential harms getting high doses of calcium, for example, more than 1,000 milligrams a day from supplements but not from foods, was linked to higher cancer mortality risks in the study. Likewise, people taking vitamin D supplements who didn't have vitamin D deficiencies may have higher risks of all-cause mortality and death from cancers. Ugh. So again, this is, just to be clear, these aren't situations where 
you you've gone for a blood test or whatever, and your doctor has said specifically you need you, more. You are low in this mineral or vitamin. Uh, taking supplements in that case, good. But taking general multivitamins or, multi- or individual supplements just as a preventative precautionary thing, and without the food, and yes. and like in lieu of food. Yeah, this study seems to say, hey guys. Eat food. Eat yeah. Food is great. Eat and it, it. And it does say this study hasn't doesn't know why exactly the same vitamins and minerals had different effects based on whether they were, say, from a salad or a capsule. But it's likely that it's because our bodies are tuned by evolution to best absorb and use micronutrients at the levels and ratios found in foods. I, I recently found out, and I don't understand this at all, so maybe you two will be able to eliminate this for me, but there are some, like, proteins that don't work in your body. They're like incomplete proteins. They don't work unless you eat them with something else. Like Mm. you can't eat black beans or you can't eat black beans, but if you want to get the full benefit of what black beans do for you, you need to eat it with like rice, like with a grain. So there's a reason why rice is interesting. There's like a lot of food. There's inadvertently figured out this combination. I'm going to look this up because this is, this is not like a theory. This is a science thing. It's called incomplete proteins. While you're looking this up, I'll say, so for example, in the, in the case of calcium, earlier research suggested that mega, regular mega doses of calcium from the diet, maybe it says from late night ice cream binges, oh. Can, oh. can cause the intestines to cut back on how much of the mineral it absorbs, leading to higher calcium levels in urine and lower calcium levels circulating the body. In other words, you end up peeing out more of it. In fact, it's very different, if not impossible, to get too much calcium from foods alone. Regularly swallowing a lot of calcium in a potent pill, on the other hand, doesn't seem to have the same effect on intestinal absorption, leading to increased levels of circulating calcium and the potential potential for harm, such as constipation and increased risk of kidney stones. Uh, Okay. And I'm bouncing over here for a second. Yeah, I got you. Uh, complete proteins contain all the essential amino acids in adequate amounts, blah, blah, blah. They're great. Dairy products, eggs, meat, poultry, seafood, soy, complete protein sources. Incomplete protein sources are missing or do not have enough of one of the essential amino acids making the protein imbalanced most plant foods beans peas grains nuts seeds and vegetables are incomplete protein sources complementary protein sources are two or more incomplete protein sources that when eaten in combination at the same meal or during the same day so i guess it can be the same day it doesn't have to be right at the same time compensate for each other's lack of amino acids. For example, grains are low in the amino acid lysine, while beans and nuts or legumes are low in the amino acid methionine. When grains and legumes are eaten together, such as rice and beans or peanut butter and whole wheat bread, they form a complete protein. No way there's a reason for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're like, Ooh, pro- like peanut butter's got protein. I'm just gonna eat a bunch of peanut. Butter. Like it doesn't work unless you combine it with because of amino acids, which is a thing that I fully don't understand. But we made fun of a friend of ours who ate a dinner that was just <laughs> spinach with a bunch of black beans poured on top of it, not cooked, no flit. Like that was a dinner that he made, and we all made fun of him. And one of our friends, Beth, who knows more about this kind of thing that it was like that does nothing you just ate like you just ate an incomplete protein with another incomplete protein oh the spinach doesn't do the job that the grains would have no they're different ah. like that's that's a plant source for the plants i mean i don't know the specifics of it but i think those two together are not complementary okay. is this the this is the origin of sides basically this is why this is why <laughs> sides exist olive garden uh putanesca if you don't have unlimited bread bowl that's on the way right. that's <laughs> right oh man 
Y'all done the tour of Italy? Mac and cheese. You done that tour of Italy? <laughs> the, o- the OG Italy? Yeah. Olive Garden? Seen it all. You have this? You know the, the, you know about this, Matt? The you guys heard about this? You don't know about this tour of Italy. <laughs> I've heard you could tour an entire country in the space of one restaurant. In your mouth in an Olive Garden where you're family, because that's when that when you're there, you're family. I've heard this also. Oh, I, I I'm think I've been to an Olive Garden Olive Garden, so I left early. I did... I saw friend of the show April Richardson. Mm-hmm. She did this at one gig once, and then I never think she told the story again. And it, I still think about it, and it still makes me laugh about her former in-laws, yeah. her the parents of her ex-husband, who would always talk about having been to Europe and traveled to Europe, uh, but they had never been to Europe. What they had been to was the various European areas of Epcot Center. <laughs> Well, when we were in France, uh, <laughs> you mean... When we were in France, in between when we got breakfast in Spain and then, <laughs> and then dessert France. in Sweden, yeah. it was a day. What can I say? Jesus. And then Figment, the purple dragon. Figment! I met oh, him. I Figment. Good he memory. Was, he was like a contemporary of Captain EO, right? I well... Early to mid-80s? He's an international tour guide, but yes, I, okay. believe, I believe so. He's an, he's an imagination dragon. <laughs> So an Imagineer res- dragon. He resonates with me. He's both those things. Yeah, he's an Imagineer Imagination dragon. <laughs> Wait, what's the word? Oh, luck dragon is from Neverending Story. He's a luck dragon. Atreu is a luck dragon. Mm-hmm. No, it. sorry. Falcor is a luck dragon. Atreu is a boy that rides a luck, luck dragon. dragon. And Imagine Dragons are ex-Mormons. And Imagine Dragon <laughs> Is that true? I, I, believe I think a- they're still current Mormons, or at least Mormon oh, yeah, okay. associated. Does does give a very vaguely uh, religious rock I vibe. Imagine Dragons have a song that sounds like the Muppets wrote it in a good way. And I don't mean <laughs> that. It just feels like a Muppet. It's from I forget which album it is. I I'm gonna have to I'm may I feel bad doing this right now mm. because this might be, but the Muppets themselves didn't actually write their songs. <laughs> Wait, what? Well, I'm sorry to contradict you, Matt, but are you familiar with Electric? Uh, mayhem band <laughs> Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem band oh actually Janice, no I said correct Janice, Janice Dr. Teeth Animal uh, Floyd Z- Zoot Floyd who is pink those guys wrote all the joke. Muppet songs like they wrote It's Not Easy Being Green they <laughs> gave it to Kermit and they were like hey we want to be in this movie too and it's like okay you'll be a band Rolf I think wrote a lot he did a lot of the piano arrangements they were the uh, they were the Palankas of uh, Muppet World <laughs> yeah. unsung what are you saying rarely sung <laughs> I stand horribly corrected. Yeah. Have you ever looked up uh, the Wikipedia on the Electric Teeth and the Electric Teeth and Electric Mayhem Teeth? to see all the various people that they? I think we listed almost all of them. We got no, but before. I mean, like, what the inspirations for them all were? Because people debate which drummer animal is actually supposed to be. I mean, he's every drummer. He's he's, he's, sort he's, of an he's of... the fury of drums personified. But one of the strong arguments is for Mick Fleetwood, which like I guess is only in, <laughs> only, in the, only in the crazy eyes. But like you'd think Animal is like Keith Moon or something, just in terms of uh, the Electric Mayhem. And then yeah. I think Floyd is uh, a combination of Ellen Jeff Stunk John. Baxter and Dr. Teeth is Dr. John. Janice is like Janice Joplin and et al. Uh, who else is, did you say? Rolf. I don't know who Rolf is. not in the Electric Mayhem. We listed players. all of them. Dr. Teeth, Animal, Floyd Pepper. It's his full name, which uh-huh. I forgot. Janice, Zoot, Lips. Who's Lips. Lips? I do remember Lips. Lips is not in this picture that I'm seeing right now. Lips, Ledrick Mayhem, auto-completes for me. Oh, yeah, I don't think he was in every scene where you'd Past see Past members, Clifford. I remember Clifford. Clifford shows up sort of Muppets. Uh, yeah, he's a big catfish. 
Oh yeah, yeah Clifford right. shows up in the sort of Muppet Treasure Island era along with Pepe the Prawn. The king, oh, okay. the king prawn. I'm sorry. If you weren't part of this the Studebaker painting montage to Can You Picture That, I don't consider you canon, but... Yeah. <laughs> Who's the blue is, one? Is That's Zoot. Oh, okay. That's lips. That's got to be lips. lips with the curly hair. Eyes are kind of closed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll put pictures of all of those. Sure. All, all, all of these brave scientists. <laughs> we should wrap this up. Uh, Zach. Where can our listeners find you? Hey, I have a podcast with my co-host Jessica McKenna called Off Book the Improvised Musical, where we improvise a full musical with an accompanist and a guest. It's really fun. It is a wildly popular podcast. Oh, thank you. No, we're we're very, very lucky. We've had some really fun guests lately. We did a show with Taryn Killam. We did a couple shows with Rachel Bloom. Oh, um, sweet. Just sort of check out the feed and see if you see uh, Darcy Carden from The Good Place is a pal of ours. Oh, she she's did the best. It. So, like, you know, check out the feed and find someone you like and then listen to it. And if you're into that, oh boy, there's about a hundred of them out there uh, and they are wild and they are totally made up and they're super fun um, do you find um, yourself going back to the well of certain like melodic things uh, that you've already or probably huh? I like can't think about it too much because I'm also like trying to rhyme and do stuff and right. also I'm, I'm kind of matching whatever chords our pianist is playing okay. so there's there's like a lot of balls in the air I don't but well, I, I'm it, sure I have sung the same melody a couple times. I wasn't criticizing. I'm just curious no, no, no. if there are like tricks to that, that or like how you'd even no, learn I mean, that skill. Yeah, I think that like, you know, I, I grew up singing a lot and I like to harmonize with stuff. And, you know, there are only so many notes that fit with other notes in a chord. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you, 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 you do fall into like style stuff. Like I know how to do a Fosse-esque song and it will kind oh. of feel like that. I know how to do a rock song. Like they have, you know similar things right as all musicals like professional like f- put on and like put on in broadway right like worked on for years musicals also have tropes and <laughs> they sure do and, yeah they sure do there's only you know in western music there's only so many how many notes are there 11 a, 12 there's b there's <laughs> c there's d there's e and there's f and there's also g and then some of those have sharps and flats but that's it yeah that's right. all of them that we use there's a, there are a but you do use all of them. I use every single one of them. And honestly, I, let me take this moment to sort of push back against the people that say that I don't. Um, <laughs> who say Zach doesn't like to sing G's and uh, B's. And um, I may have sung some songs where G's and B's were underrepresented. And okay. that that is on me. Like, I will freely admit sure. to that. And I'm right. sorry for that. But I, I would like to go on record saying that I do support singing the notes both G and B. They're just as good as any other note. An F, uh, an F sharp and a G, to me, basically the same. Some would, yeah. yeah. Some would say indiscernible from each other. <laughs> or actually, wait. I guess well, no. F sharp, sharp, F sharp and G are discernible to each other. Uh, it's a, a B sharp and a C. A B sharp and a C? Almost the same. Couldn't tell the difference. Fairly different. Yeah. Yeah, so you you just don't see notes. I know. Exactly. You're note blind. (laughs) Ebony, Ivory, I don't know. I'm I'm the worst piano player because I can't (laughs) tell them apart. Do you have a favorite musical, by the way? Regular musical, not improvised? Oh, you know, I get asked this a lot. I really don't. Um, Although I just, I just, uh, I just saw Legally Blonde again from my, (laughs) I ended up at a, uh, uh, and the music to that is real fun. Really, Legally Blonde is a fun who, musical. Who did the the book or no the music? It's one of the composers from Bat Boy, and it's the composer from Bat Boy and someone else. And I don't remember either of their names. I'm sorry. I will say that like you know, Sondheim's great, Wicked is great, Stephen Schwartz is like I like I like them a lot. I like. What do you think about like Book of Mormon? I don't know if the music was actually done by 
Trey Parker, Matt Stone. It was done by the people that did the music in Avenue Q. Um, oh, I've never oh. seen Book of Mormon. I've li- I, I I love Avenue Q. I have. It's a lot of fun. It, yeah. But the, it's in the the third person, so it's Matt and Trey, and then one other guy, and he's From also Avenue Q, I believe. And he's an egot. He's a guy who. <laughs> oh, is he? Yeah, because he also wrote. Uh, fuck. What's um, I think he uh he wrote Frozen. No he wrote shit. the songs in Frozen. Oh. I kind of wanted guy. to believe it was Matt and Trey and that they were like, this is a story I made up in my head. I did no research. They were just like non-musical players who could just like, you know, vocally sing things to a person who that's then transcribes That's how Mel Brooks did it. That's really? how Mel Brooks wrote his musical. He would just be like, um, this is the producer's song that I want you to do. Do it. <laughs> and like, and like That's how it would work. Like, now transcribe and, and orchestrate it. South Park Bigger Longer Uncut is one of my favorite musicals. And that is just them without help on the music front? I'm sure know? someone did something for them in yeah. there, but I think it's largely them. It's like, are you a it's, Mr. Show fan? I don't know a ton of Mr. Show. Oh, okay. There's a thing about, it's like a parody of Amadeus, but it's about a version of John, John Philip Sousa but he's like a prodigy, but he doesn't know actual music. He just like says marching band noises and writes down bing, bam, pop. John Philip Sousa, the March King, doesn't get talked about a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> so check out Off Book. Check out Off Book. Pick out your favorite episodes as a starting point. Yeah. Pick out your favorite guests as a starting Thanks. point. I'm on, I'm on Twitter guests. and Instagram with Zach Reno, Z-A-C-H-R-E-I. We will link to those as well. I'm going to, the second this episode finished, look up to see who wrote co-wrote Book of Mormon and see if I've just led you all astray and I'll correct it next week if I'm wrong it's very important but uh, you can find us at probablyscience.com that's also where the donation button is and links to all of the stories that we covered you can find us on Twitter at Probably Science, individually at Andy T. Wood and at Matt Kirshen. You can also email us probablyscience at gmail.com with questions, comments, clarifications, stories you'd like us to cover. We're on Facebook uh, as well. Uh, and thank you so much, Zach, for joining us. Oh, gosh, yeah. it's been a dang pleasure. Thank you for having me and letting me set the record straight on so many <laughs> on so many, on so many I'm conflicts. I'm glad to give in. you that output. I need that platform. We thank may have you. listeners who are hiring geisha positions right now, so it'd be good just have that out there. You put it in the universe. I'm not available. That position okay. is behind me. Oh, okay. I have begrudgingly <laughs> ceded that battle to people that were probably correct. Well, we'll see if we can. But hit me up. But hit <laughs> me up on the sly. We won't tell anyone. But, uh, don't, but don't. But also don't. Please don't. <laughs> That's future Geisha Zach Reno. Robert Lopez. That's the guy. Avenue Q. Book of Mormon. Egot or not Egot? I think he's an Egot. Yep, Frozen. Awesome. Egot. He's got them all. Speaking of and Letty- Coco, he wrote the songs for Coco as well. He's killed an eagle, nice, a goat, yeah, an otter, and a tiger. <laughs> it's a horrible title to have. <laughs> Don't do that, guys. Don't eat God. But you should see his den. It's oh, wild. It's, it's the amazing. walls it's look wild. amazing. All right, see you next week. Bye-bye.